Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. Then he was in forensics. Then he was a New South Wales firefighter. This season of Loose Units is called Hot Stuff Coming Through. And apart from having an incredibly cool and stupid name, it's going to reveal the untold side of being a firefighter in Australia. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to Loose Units Hot Stuff Coming Through. I'm Paul Verhoeven and sitting across from me is my ex-firefighter dad, John Verhoeven. Now, in the last few seasons of Loose Units... Here's how I've done things, Dad, and you know this very well. You would give me a bunch of key words that would kind of trigger anecdotes, mm. right? Yep. Now, you've given me a list. This season has basically been kind of a chronological breakdown of, of you know, all the different aspects of the firefighter mm-hmm. uh, job. Yep. But uh, we thought we'd, as a bit of a throwback, do what we used to do in the police podcast, and that is basically have a tasting plate, a menu of weird shit. And I've got a bunch of keywords in front of me here and I don't know what these mean. So listeners, you and I are now going to be confronted by dad's just full velocity weirdness. Thank you. Thank you. So what we're going to do now is we're going to work our way down the list. The first thing on the list doesn't make any sense to me. Um, It says Draeger BG174. Okay, great. Do you want to? I'd like to. Go on. Okay. I will. The Draeger, Draeger or Draeger? BG-174 was a regenerative breathing apparatus. So fire is when they go to a normal fire, like I said, you might have 20 minutes air, mm. compressed air, mm. and you need seven or eight minutes to get the job done and double that to, to get out. Yes. So I also, something I wanted to say um, last time was that I remember a particular case in America where they lost some fireys at a job, uh, they died, because one of the things that fireys do when they go into a fire is that they obviously take a hose in, and one of the things they do to get themselves out, if it's really, really bad, mm-hmm. if they think we're, we're fucked, we've got to get out, uh, we don't have much air left, is they'll, uh, they'll follow the hose back. So they actually turn around, yeah. they feel the hose, and one fire has got his hands on the other fire, he's, uh, the back of his gear, mm. and he'll, like, like leading a blind person, yeah. and you'll, you'll hopefully get fucking out. But the thing is... Um, at a particular fire, and I remember seeing the photographs, the fireys were both deceased um, and lying around them was all their hose and they'd been trying to do that exact thing. But what happened was they'd been into a few rooms oh, and no, the hose no. had... Um, no, no, the hose had actually crossed over. Yeah, so and, they'd been going in circles basically. And, they, they, and the, when they were feeling the hose, inadvertently they'd kind of come across a hose either on top of or below the other hose mm. They're trying to get out. They know they've only got a limited amount of air left. It's hot. The place is sort of falling in around them. They can't see the exit. They don't know where the exit is because imagine being spun around in a dark room and told, well, 
fuck, where's the door? You can't see it. You're disoriented and you're yeah. stressed. Yeah. And you're running yeah. out of air and mm. everything's flashing through. Like, you know, you, th- you, you know, you might be thinking of your family. Uh, you're trying to be focused. You're trying to be professional, but dark thoughts are coming in and, you know, the stress is on and, and you, the poor guy behind's holding onto his mate, putting his life entirely in the guy in front. And the guy in front is feeling the ropes and all of a sudden he accidentally feels the wrong, uh, you know, hose. And they're, they're charged lines, so they're rock hard. And then they start on their path and they think and then they fucking run out of air. And they fucking die. And then we, or whoever comes in <clears throat> afterwards and sees the colleagues lying there amongst this hose and they realise that um, they got lost. I was trying to find out... How many firefighters die each oh, it's, year? It's, in America, it's well. Apparently, I, I think in 2018 it was 64. That's that's a lot, and they're professional firefighters. Plus, like, given how many fires there are, that's a that's a high hit rate. Yeah, but but they do have a different system in America. They used to do. Um, they were very much into ventilating, which means you get to the top of the building yep. and you use these special hooks and you drive them through. They're, they're called malthoid uh, roofs, which mm. is like a tar. And what they their their theory is, if they can uh, drive holes into the roofs and then let the pre- the pressure, the smoke, the heat out of the top. But sometimes, and and this is fairly unique to America, from what I remember in my training days, mm. is that the uh, the roofs collapse and they just go through and what they and they they die. American firefighters also have axes, don't they? They do. They, the, that's a big part. We, that- we 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 um used to have axes, but they have an axe which has got a blade on one. A side and a hook on the other, what's slightly it, different. What's it for? Just for um, tearing down, knocking doors down, and hooking hooking into materials like, you know, dry dry clad walls like gyprock walls, and you know, pulling them down. Because sometimes fire is in walls, right? And something that people also need to be aware of. You know how you've got in Melbourne and Sydney and Adelaide terraced houses. Mm. Okay, here's something to consider uh, to all the listeners when you buy a terraced house. If you do, um, and there are suburbs in Sydney that are all terraces, like Paddington. So when you're standing on the street looking at your prospective house and you go inside and there are beautiful, thick, double brick walls that separate every single house. Yep. But if you go up into the roof, they often share a common cavity with no barriers between. There lies one of the problems as to why the Titanic sunk. They had these walls at the bottom that would fill with water Mm. and they could have taken them to the very top and they would have been sealed containers and if they had have done that just a few more feet with these steel walls in the titanic it wouldn't have sunk but what happened was they didn't take the walls to the very top the first container filled trickled over into the second filled into the third fourth etc now with terraced houses when you buy a terraced house or you're renting one go up and have a look there's a chance that you might be able to see right down to the end of the street from up inside the roof. Now, imagine what happens in a fire. Oh. A fire in, 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 in the far left-hand side, the beginning of the street, it, it makes its way into the ceiling. Yeah. Then what happens? It makes its way all along, goes down into every single place. But doesn't fire go up? Does yeah, but fire... it still works its way down slowly. Does it? Of course. It is slow. Okay. Have I ever, Did I ever discuss why it's... It's problematic living on the ridge of a hill. No. Okay. So my analogy is nice and simple, but very, very visually uh, understandable. Mm. If you light a match and you hold the bit that's a light, if you hold it up, 
what happens to the match? It, it, it does burn down incredibly slowly, doesn't sure. it? Yes, yes. But what happens if you turn the match upside down? The fire climbs really fast. And burns your finger. Yep. So that's tantamount to living on a ridge. Right, so anything below it will climb up to your house. Always. Okay. But if you're at the bottom of a ridge, the fire will... Unless, of course, the fire starts down there. Yeah. But, but generally, a fire is coming over hills towards you. It'll take a long, long time, in theory. Mm. I mean, there are you know extreme situations with weather and wind, etc. But that's something to think about. You know, but living on a ridge is um, is problematic. In many cases, dangerous. So, what about this Drager BG one seven four? Okay, so the fire is they. Um, thanks for bringing back bringing me back. You said it was a regenerative oxygen mm. thing. So, have you ever thought about? Um, during the First and Second World War, mainly the Second World War, mm. um, naval divers, uh, particularly in, say, for example, Singapore, yep. are you aware that um, they would, scuba divers would make their way to ships and unseen, and they would attach limpet mines to the oh, sides? Yes, yes, they'd scuttle the ships. And mm. if you were using scuba diving gear, which yeah. was available, yeah. what would the people on the ship see when they looked down? I don't know. The bubbles. Oh, interesting. Yes, yes. So how did they stop that? Um, by, by having an enclosed system. So no bubbles would come out. So what, in effect, you're doing, they give you a cylinder of pure oxygen. Mm. So when you and I are sitting in this room, we are breathing air. Unless one of us farts, and then it gets bad. Well, that, that changes the composition to perhaps more methane. <laughs> and in your case, a fucking lot of it. That's the pot calling the kettle smelly. Yep. So, when we breathe in and out, so the air we breathe is, uh, imagine as a composition of air, 100% air. Mm. Um, do you know the composition of oxygen, how much oxygen there is in the air? Uh, no. 21%. And 71%, sorry, 79% nitrogen, which is weird. Yeah. Because 79 and 21 equals 100. But they're the stats, but then they always used to add 1% extra gas, which makes technically 101%. Well, that's you after beans. I went to an oxygen bar once, um, twice actually. I went to one in Colorado because the altitude up there is people get altitude sickness mm. because it's the air is so thin. Mm. Um, and they would give us concentrated oxygen. Mm. And I have friends who were paramedics who yep. would hop on the uh, oxy- Oxyviva, Oxyviva yep. and just dump concentrated oxygen. I find it interesting that both humans and fire benefit greatly uh, from oxygen. Whenever I had a... Um if I ever had a bad headache yeah. and I was on shift, I always went to the fire engine and I would always uh, suck on pure oxygen. Now, would you need to replenish that in case of emergencies? I'd look on? at the meat, I'd look at the gauges. Oh, okay. If I hadn't used a lot, that was that, that was okay. So when you do CPR, yeah. So when you breathe in twenty one percent, like when you breathe in air, mm. of that breath you're taking into your lungs, twenty one percent of that hundred percent is oxygen. When you breathe out, yeah. Do you know how much oxygen you breathe out? I'm guessing none. 15%. What? Yep. What? So what happens to the 6%? Uh, your body absorbs it. Correct. Right. That is what we use to live. Okay? We use oxygen, of course. And if you don't have oxygen, you die. Yeah. When you're doing CPR, I know I'm going off a little bit a little bit off track, but it's but just bear with me. Yeah. When you do CPR, you take a big breath. Of 21% oxygen. Yes. You then exhale... 15%. 15 into the recipient's lungs. Yep. So they're getting 15%. It's not a lot. Yeah. Can you imagine being able to give them 100% oxygen? I.e. Oxyviva. That's why Oxyviva is yeah. so fantastic. So okay. when you're delivering Oxyviva, you're inflating the lungs and then you'd have this special um, pressure relief valve so you didn't blow the lungs up. Because can you imagine when you apply mm. with the Robert Shaw demand valve? How's that for a bit of memory? Good band name. So when you apply it and you press it over that that seal and you get that seal over their nose and mouth, 
you when you watch the lungs you just rise, but then at a certain point, if it failed and you kept going, you'd blow them up. You'd actually the person would explode. Which you would be I mean, pretty that's bad. Very, that's usually fatal. Yeah. Okay. So this regenerative device is mm. what is this? So what it is, it's an oxygen cylinder yep. and like a scrubber, a series of uh, sponges and, and systems within that, that basically scrub and clean mm. the air. But every breath you take, it releases a tiny bit of pure oxygen and it enables you, it's fully enclosed. Now, get ready for this. You know how I said uh, oxygen, like when you go on to um, a fire using compressed air, yes, you've got around about 20 minutes of compressed air. Mm. Well, with the Dragor BG174 regenerative breathing apparatus, you ready for this? 400 minutes. That's crazy. How many hours is that? I don't... Just divide it by 60. I can't. I can't barely count. It's a lot. Listeners are yelling at us right now. I I think... Okay, so that would obviously save a lot. It's around about... It's more than five hours. That would save a lot of lives. Yeah. Now, why do you think you'd use... When would you use... That equipment as a firefighter. Now, to be to be able to use that firefighting equipment, yeah, the, they were highly trained firemen. Mm. Not your normal fireys. They'd done special courses and they were used in special fires. Can you think of a, an example where you'd use that type of equipment? Bearing in mind that when you're using it, yep, you're planning on being somewhere fighting fires for a long time, yeah, in a really scary place. And when you're using that equipment, it becomes very very hot. Because you're using effectively the same breath of air, but it's being recycled, yeah. cleaned, and a bit of oxygen each time. So it's a, it's an amazing, and that's the system they used. These divers developed that that system to be able to go in untraced. Because you'd have people on the decks looking down for oxygen bubbles yeah. coming up, yeah. and there were no bubbles because these guys were using these same systems made by C.B. Gorman. Who's C.B. Gorman? A German company that. Uh, world leaders in, and there are other companies, but das is good. Can I'm, you think of a, a situation? Now, remember, we worked at Crow's Nest. Yeah. Now, not every fire station has got that regenerative breathing apparatus. I mean, I only assume, a few fire stations. I keep thinking about the 1994 bushfires and being, never, ever, ever, ever bushfires. Really, chemical? Possibly. What's the answer? Ship fires. Ship fires. Yeah, we have to go down into the hold, into the abyss. And that's a place I never fucking want to go into. Did you ever? No, because I wasn't trained to use that gear. Okay. okay. But, you know, we worked at North Sydney Crow's Nest. Mm. And what's what's all around us? Sydney Harbour. Water. And you've got ships. And a lot of things, the, the fires have got incredible power. They've got, I dare say, they've actually probably got more power than the police. How so? They have got the power in an extreme fire situation. Imagine there's a, a building, high-rise in Melbourne, Adelaide, Sydney, or any of our other friends, mm. and there's a possibility that it's going to spread. What can they do? They can order the evacuation and demolition of adjoining buildings. What? They can order that the surrounding buildings be demolished. How's that for fucking big? That's big time. Who does the demolishing? Well, you'd have contractors coming in urgently in massive, with massive equipment to okay. just... Because otherwise, you've got to stop the spread. Yeah. Of the fire. And if there's similar to, dare I say it, can I use the C word? Corona. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juvederm.com. What are they trying to do now? Stop the spread of this virus, and they will use what may appear to be draconian measures, but it gets to that stage where you just really need to stop this thing from spreading. And that's how they stop fire. They can, And another thing they can do, I mentioned ships with the breathing apparatus. Imagine yep. if you, you rock up to a ship and there's a fire, there's a fire sort of down on level, you know, 15 like below sea level, mm. and the fireys have to go down. They haven't been on the ship before. They'll get a crash course in, God, where to go, and they'll go down and they'll try and locate the seat of the fire. Remember I told you about the sun? Mm. And they'll, and, 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 but what a situation and how dangerous. That's why they've got four or five hours of, of breathing time. Um, can I point something silly out? You're on the water. Couldn't you just like unmoor it and send it out into the ocean? Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that. Because the fire brigade also have the power to sink vessels. However, Paul, let's 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 get real. Yeah. You might be able to do that with a yacht or a cruiser. Mm. How on earth would you sink the QE two? Uh, well, um, you would have to find and kill the queen because she is the source of power. She is the combustion engine for every one of her ships named after her. And once you do that, all the stamps will go blank. You'd have to take it right out in the ocean, like super deep. Can yeah. you imagine sinking it and it just sat there, like with still 12 floors, because you remember in, in, in a previous story where myself and two of my colleagues actually swam underneath, was it the QE2 or the Queen Mary? I can't remember. And we sat on the propeller one night. It's in the book. Yeah. yeah so if you sank that boat there, it'd go down about 10 feet, Yeah. which is useless. Mm. So, yeah. I still think my stamp joke was pretty funny. It deserved a bit more of a nod. Mm. Yep. I, there was a story that you told, I think you may have told it to a very select few listeners after one of our Brisbane shows. And somebody said, what's one of the most messed up things that happened to you whilst you were in the fire brigade? Now, it's all well and good to talk about the logistics of the Draeger breathing system, because it's actually interesting. And, you know, I didn't know that firefighters could just scuttle ships to save lives. That's really interesting. But there was a story that you told me about someone's arms. Now, would you be comfortable telling that on the show? Okay. So it was a fire in a suburb. I'll be fair, fairly non-specific. Sure. Because I don't want to talk suburbs. Yeah. Um, but there was a fire. 
let's hypothet- hypothetically imagine there's a suburb in Sydney mm-hmm. and it was nighttime and it was an apartment um, in a suburb and we rocked up and it was a shit fight. There are emergency services, uh, to coin one of my classic phrases from Arsehole to Breakfast. Yes. And um, a lot of pandemonium, a lot of stress, and uh, there was someone trapped inside this burning building. Mm. And uh, we kitted up, um, you know, with our uh, cabers, compressed air breathing apparatus, and um, there was a big crowd, a very, very big crowd. Do you find crowds often outside fires? Oh, all the time. But don't people, I mean... I guess they love it. They love the the whole emotional. Well, firstly, you've got people from within the building that managed to be able to escape. Yep. You've got neighbors. You know, if you're in bed at night time um, and there are lights sort of, you know, the glow that come through, they make their way into your room. You see that sort of the that that eerie the, the dancing of the dark blue and the red lights sort of and you think shit and you sort of peer out and you see there's a big commotion and and, and you think god, that's that's really close to us and mm. and you can either you can go back to bed, which is probably fairly difficult to do, or you can put your pajamas on, assuming you're sleeping without pajamas. Sure. And then you can go outside, and 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 it's human nature. You know they call it call, they call it rubbernecking. Yes. You know the story. You're there's a huge delay on a freeway, and no one's moving, and an hour later you get past a tin pot shitty little accident where someone's got a scratch, and every single and thousands and thousands of cars have stopped to just check it out, uh, and if it's a fatality. Like a motorcycle, and people people are morbidly curious. Yeah, and that's a that's um, that's a fact of of human nature. And that's what what is happening on this night. People are around outside watching this apartment fire. Yeah, yeah. And um, and we uh, we went in to this particular apartment. Um, I don't know whether any of the listeners have ever seen those ads. They used to be on really late at night, like two in the morning. Those shitty ads, and there was like an ad for a mattress company, mm. and there was a guy that was made up as a mattress. Yeah, I think he's like the mattress king. Oh, yeah. No, Mr. Snooze. Yeah, Mr. Snooze, and he's running around. He's got these little legs and his arms. He's actually a real person, and they've they've made an outfit out of a mattress. That's why I mean, he could be a living mattress man from the planet Zorgon. You don't know. I don't know. But in this particular case, he wasn't from the planet Zorgon. Okay. He was actually a real guy who'd been smoking in bed, which used to cause a lot of um, really? fires. Really? A lot. Because sometimes if you're really tired, you just sort of nod off and your um, cigarette would um, go into the uh, the mattress, which yep. it did on this particular occasion. And when he woke up, he kind of woke up, he, um, he realized that he was um, pretty well on fire. His mattress was on fire. And what had happened was it had literally burnt the back of his body arms and legs, and it had fused. His whole body had fused and become a part of the mattress. So when we go into this house, he was uh, his father was outside screaming and screaming at us. He was really, really, you know, obviously very, very upset because he'd managed to escape from this building. Yeah. And he'd left his son inside. And uh, we found we, we found the son uh, lying on, on this mattress, and we went to move the son, and he was a part of the mattress. So what happened was we pulled the mattress out, um, and he he was unburnt pretty well the top of him really well he looked he appeared to be fairly but from sort of maybe an inch um, from the front of his body all the way back through his um, body and spine and, and and the back of his body mm. the back of his head uh, the back of his legs were all had sort of fused into the mattress and he was he was dead? he's dead yeah yeah, yeah. okay and uh, anyway we dragged him out onto the um, onto the front lawn in front of all these people. Now, why would you do that? Well, it was, that was the only place. 
to, to, to get this body. And did, did you not tell people to disperse? Could well, that wasn't really our job. That's up to the police. Okay. And we dragged this mattress out and then um, I, I began to realise that no, the family were there mm. and um, and someone shouted at me and they said, look, you know, God, can you can move this? I mean, it was a really, it was, there was a lot happening, a lot of commotion. The house was still pretty well, there was still smoke inside right. and fires were dealing with that. And I reached down, and I don't know what 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 possessed me, but I I should have um, well, firstly we should have covered the, the the son as it turned out to be should have covered him up with a with a cloth because yes. we carry a lot of salvage sheets. But it was a stressful moment, and our primary thing was just to to move the body. And I inadvertently um, grabbed the guy's arms, and I went to pull, and I pulled his arms off, and I was just standing there, and I was looking across at the son's father who was looking at me, and I'm holding his arms. I'd pulled them out, and I was standing there with a pair of arms, which is not a good look. And um, <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm not laughing. I am, but I'm not. I'm struggling with this a little bit. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is that when I told that story in Brisbane, a lady just down and slightly to the right into the in, in the darkness, mm. uh, she was the only person that night that actually laughed. Yeah, it was a single bark of a laugh. It yeah. was very nervous, yeah. And then I kind of, I needed to sort of, relieve the tension so I kind of gesticulated to her and I sort of indicated that I didn't kind of you know slap the arms together or anything crazy like that anyway look the the entire night was was terrible but what I didn't say that night and I think this is worthy of mentioning is Mm. that it was a traumatic event obviously to a lot of people yes and um we wanted to get some sort of counseling and uh for yourselves yeah for all of us all yeah. of the emergency service workers because it had been particularly traumatic yeah and, and and traumatic um you know for the poor person that pulled the arms off yeah. and for the father yeah and um we were actually castigated explain we were told in no uncertain terms by the district officer that under no circumstances was he going to organize any uh, counseling, counseling, and, and as far as he was concerned, we were a bunch of fucking pansies and fucking get toughen up and get on with it. So that was kind of a, a little bit of the uh, the attitude back the f- then. I think it's changed, but that's hopefully. never that that has never that's not come up during the show. No, I think that's very interesting because I mean we've talked a lot about the potential ramifications of seeing the things you saw and doing the things you did when you're on the police force. But we haven't at any point gone, okay, you left a traumatic job, you went towards another traumatic job, and now you've pulled the arms off a body in front of his dad. And you've asked for help, and you've been laughed at. Do you think, and I feel obliged to ask this on behalf of the listeners, do you think you are okay? Definitely. (laughs) I'm not convinced. Paul, it's fine, trust me. Well, I mean, I, I want. Mean, I, I, look, yeah. I, I, I mean, I can actually look. I'm not going to sit here and sound sort of, um, you know, blasé or laissez-faire or um, dismissive. Mm. But I've seen some bad shit. Yeah. And I'm kind of glad I have seen all that stuff because it's, you know, it's a part of what you see. As I said to you before, I mean, I'm not glad I've seen it, but I've seen it and I've coped. Yes. And, okay. Uh, You've accepted it, and I accept it, and I. You know, I think it's a part of the human condition to see this stuff, and um, and 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 most people can actually, I think, pretty well deal with it. The only thing I'll say, and I've mentioned it before, is the <clears throat> the thing that I think is probably the worst thing in the world, and I've said this at live shows, is to go to war. Yeah. Okay. Now that I actually can't even grapple with, and I don't want to. 
Yes. So, yeah. Um, I will, we can close this episode out with a slightly more... Um, I don't know what word I would use to describe this story because you told it to me off mic and I think I think you really want to tell it. And um, it's got to do with boots. Mm. So It's a great story. Yeah, but it's... <clears throat> I mean, it's very... This episode has been... You know, just like it used well, to be with uh, the police years. It's, it's been a grab bag of weird shit. Mm. So if you'd like to kind of round this out with the story about the boots, I would be very mm. grateful. When I was in the New South Wales Fire Brigades, um, and for all fires that are listening back, those that will re- recall this particular um, story, well, there are lots of stories associated with this particular sort of the name, and the name's the bootlicker. Now, the bootlicker was and Perhaps still is, but maybe not. So imagine, listeners, there was a guy, and he was referred to by fireys as the bootlicker. Now, it was sort of mythology where, uh, you know, you join the fire brigade and occasionally you'd be made aware of this particular guy that used to call stations and he would ask, and he spoke fairly softly, and he'd say, and he'd always phone at night time because he knew all the hours, he knew everything. He, he It was as though he kind of... I'm not sure whether he used to, to sort of check out fire stations, and but but no one really, really knew. But, I mean, I thought it was all bullshit until one night in the Forestville fire station. Can I, I... Can I clean your boots? Well, he didn't speak like that. Well, that would have been... He's, it was... He, he, he sort of had a fairly gentle-sounding voice, um, you know, sort of articulate, softly spoken. Mm. and But he did address himself as... Um, he, well, he didn't say, look, I'm the bootlicker. Because he probably didn't know that he was called the bootlicker. Sure. Uh, but we, we certainly knew. Uh, and, and it was a bit of sort of mythology, and I kind of never really believed it because it sounds so bizarre. But what he used to... Well, he'd, he'd say... Because remember, remember in, in the day when we had the knee-high boots, um, we used to hang them in the, the engine bay on the pegs with the... And it's a very... Look, it's pretty... When you walk into a fire engine bay and you see the big red engine and all the gear on either side, it's 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 good. It's a great feeling. It looks great. It's sort of something that everyone knows because through movies that you know, that's what happens in the engine bays. And this particular guy, he would want to come around and polish every single fireman's boots, which is really nice. But he wanted to do it while you're wearing them. And you're looking at me very strangely, Paul. I just, I feel like I've wandered into a foot fetish story. Mm, Worse than that. Oh, boy. So this guy would want to come around and polish all the fireman's boots. Yeah. And he would spit polish them. You know what spit polishing is? Yes, when you spit and you polish. Yeah, and it gets a special effect, but only on the toes. For the military people that are listening, they'll understand spit polish. And okay. we used to have to do it. When I first joined the police force mm. at the academy, they taught us how to spit polish. Right. And we used to use a particular product. I think it was called... Spit? Dubbin. It's a great story about how you spit polish. And it really brings it up. And there's a lot of work involved. But okay. that's not what we're talking about. Okay, we're talking about a man... Yeah, a man who would... Some uh, sort of like sexual hobgoblin who teleports into fire stations. And he comes around and he just simply wants to. But the reality with the bootlicker yeah. is that he actually wanted to give you more than just polishing your boots. Can you guess what he used to want to do? Gobbies? He would like to 
Gobbies. Give you a blowjob. Gobbies. Is that what a is that what a blowjob is? Gobbies. Never heard that before. Now it you sounds can't... like something out of um like a Harry children... Potter. Gobby, sir. Yeah. Gobby, what? Please, Potter, Harry, don't. Fuck. Yeah. Remember, so this, when, this... remember when Gobby died in the last book? It was fucking depressing. Well, they should have called him Nobby. So this guy would come around, allegedly, and um, polish everyone's boots. Yeah. And he would actually go out into the engine bay. And he didn't necessarily, you know, a lot of guys would have gone, well, no, you're not going to get to, you know, suck my whatever. But I'm happy for you to polish my boots because it's nice to have clean boots. Yeah, okay. Now, I mm-hmm. never met the bootlicker. He never polished my boots. And um <laughs> Methinks he doth protest too much. No, no, but hear hear me out. Yes. I've actually seen an actual photograph <gasps> of him. Oh my god. Um giving a fireman a bit of a No, yeah, you fucking have. haven't. Yeah, it was on a uh, Polaroid instamatic uh, insta, you know, count um Photo, like a Polaroid. The only way to get rid of him is to give him a sock. Thank you, so, sir. So, what an incredible story. Uh, but, but before you go, before we go, mm. when I was a fireman uh, regularly, uh, mainly at Mossman Police Station, funnily enough, and I don't know whether I've ever mentioned this, you'd often get photos from uh, lonely people, right? That would ask, perhaps, would you like to come around to my place after work? Because, and it happened to fire stations regularly, where mainly women would phone and. They knew if they phoned a fire station, they probably even knew what the fireys looked like. I mean, they might live opposite or whatever, and they'd say hi, you know, and they'd get chatting, and they'd say, look, you know, if you're not doing anything afterwards, would you like to come back to my house for a cup of tea or coffee or whatever? <laughs> so, because they felt that they could trust firemen, and, you know, fireys are fucking good people. Right. Except our killer that murdered um, all those judges. He was pretty bad. Anyway. Only you could go from a story about gobbies to murder that quickly. Mm, yeah. Look, it's been an odd episode, but a gratifying one, I feel. And if you hear scuttling in the crawl space in your fire station, then simply say bootlicker three times and he shall appear. What a, f- what a terrible story. Thank you for listening to this very odd grab bag of Fire Brigade stories. This has been Loose Units. Hot stuff coming through. Next week, we've got some great stuff planned, so make sure you tune in and we'll see you then. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.